Farmers in the Harvest. This podcast is a weekly conversation about the gospel and the work that God is doing through those who labor for him. Now, your host, Kevin Fulcher. Hello and welcome to Laborers in the Harvest podcast. We're grateful that you've joined us today. And uh, we're continuing our conversation today with missionary Bob Mack. Uh, Bob is a missionary sent out of the Cleveland Baptist Church to the Ivory Coast of Africa, the, the great country. And uh, God has had he and his family there since 1995. So they are just now completing their 25th year there as missionaries. And in our last podcast, we're going to kind of pick up where we left off, Brother Bob. So thanks again for being here. And want to just uh, continue on. We were talking about your preparation for the field, and we talked a little bit about your training, uh, your education, and then some of the practical stuff. And then um, God brought Becky into your life. So um, for those who aren't familiar, Becky is uh, the formerly Becky Marshall of the Marshall family. Some folks may not know that family, but years ago, back in the Independent Baptist movement, probably back 25, 30 years ago, the Marshall family traveled across America uh, singing primarily, doing evangelistic type work. And uh, Becky is um, uh, the second uh, oldest, I believe, in the family. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So how did God bring Becky into your life, Brother Bob? <laughs> well, as I, as I mentioned uh, in the last podcast, uh, Pastor Thompson sort of uh, made marriage a requirement for moving forward. and um, Moving forward to go to the mission field. <laughs> correct. Yes, to get to the mission field and, and you know, onto the pastoral staff and then on the deputation. And so, uh, you know, honestly, at the beginning of that time, um, it sort of provoked me to be a little proactive in, in dating and finding, quote unquote, the right one. And that really was not necessary. Um, I had never heard of the Marshall family, uh, but one day as we were approach, approaching uh, Pete Montoro's ordination, uh, Pete being uh, the oldest Marshall daughter, Julia, uh, her husband, they were married and Pete was getting ordained and the family pulled into the Cleveland Baptist Church parking lot, uh, the Marshall family did, to hook up and to be there for Pete's ordination. And fortunately for me, I was the only one on the church premises at that point in time. I was working on a car in the bus garage and Becky, again, fortunately for me, was the one elected to come out and use the bus garage phone to call Julia. So that's how we met. All right. Well, uh, obviously, uh, it was a match that God put together. Uh, God has blessed your family, as you shared with us in the last uh, episode, our uh, introduction, that God's given you four children, and, and that's a blessing. So let's, uh, let's talk a little bit, okay? So we talk about the process, uh, getting to the mission field. So there's also the process of deputation. And so what did that look like for you guys? Cleveland Baptist helped me considerably. We we went out on deputation in October of 1992, and Cleveland Baptist went ahead and, and gave me a salary through the end of that year. So October, November, and December, I still had a salary coming in. And um, that was very, very helpful. Uh, it, it's one of the catch-22s about deputation. It's difficult to raise support until you're doing it full-time, and it's difficult to, br uh, to, to branch out and do it full-time when you're not really receiving any support. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Cleveland Baptist allowed us to get out. We averaged about 13.2 uh, meetings per month while we were on a deputation. So, and, and this was in a little bit of a tougher day where, uh, you know, no cell phones, no internet, no anything. It was mm -hmm. just, just calling pastors for, you know, eight hours a day, trying to book meetings. And then 
being faithful to those meetings to mm. present missions. Okay. So back in that day, um, there were no DVDs or uh, video projectors. It was all done by uh, hand through a slide projector, I presume. Is that correct? That is. But hey, listen, I, I was first class. So I had one of those two slide projector uh. units with a dissolver unit. So as one's fading out, the other's fading in. And we had a tape narration. So uh, we, we did try to go top of the line well, at that time. You, you probably were. I, I just have to tell you that I often think about how technology, how quickly it changes. And, you know, you talk about stuff like that. And some of our listeners are thinking, what on earth does that mean? Because yeah. <laughs> they haven't been That's around like <laughs> so, uh So deputation took how long for you? We were on deputation for 16 months. Uh, we finished up in uh, early February of uh, 1994. Okay. So then... The next step was language school. Is that yes. correct? Yes. Okay. And what is that? What did that mean for you? We elected to go to Quebec for one year of language school, and that decision uh, proved to be a good decision for us. Um, there in Quebec, we were forced to concentrate solely on learning that language and developing our skills in that language. We were in class about six and a half, seven hours a day, and we usually had a couple hours of homework each night. And so that lasted a year, and honestly, a year of language school, for the most part, really is insufficient. Mm -hmm. And so I continued language training once I got on the field. Okay. And um, part of being in Quebec, of course, a French-speaking country, mm -hmm. forces you, of course, to get your ear tuned to, to the language mm -hmm. and, and uh, hearing what, you, you know, what you're being taught picking that up in everyday use, I, I would suppose that that becomes very, very helpful. It does. You have to, you, you have to be in a place where that is what you're hearing. Um, in the Montreal area, there are plenty enough English speakers, and so we would oftentimes schedule appointments with different folks from Quebec with the express purpose of simply conversationalizing in French to help us uh, develop as much as we could. Very good. All right, so now we, uh, we're done with language school. We have the, you know, the ordination or and then mm -hmm. the the basically commissioning service mm -hmm. and I remember that well yes as I said that was right at the beginning of my taking on the pastor here even though I'd been co-pastor while you were working your internship right. uh, pastor Thompson had stepped on in September 3rd and you as we talked about last time were sent and uh, ordained and sent out on September the, the 10th. 10th so let's talk about Okay, at that point, it is you and Becky and Bobby and Marilyn. Is that correct? Or yes, that... Marilyn was born a month and a half before we went okay, to the field. Okay, so you're, you and your wife, a little boy and a little girl, and all of a sudden, now you're in West Africa, French-speaking country, third world nation. Mm -hmm. What's that like for a family when they, when they hit the ground? Well, it, it certainly can be very overwhelming, and I think this is one of the reasons why the Lord stretched my internship at Cleveland Baptist to four years was simply to allow me to develop the maturity I was going to need for that kind of an experience. Um, it, there just are a lot of things that you have to attend to very quickly upon getting in the field. Uh, you want to research what medical is available out there where you are so that you know what you're going to do when the need presents itself. Uh, you want to research some other areas uh, as well that, you know, where you can buy things um, and so on and so forth. But the, the real challenge is continuing in the language because after about one year of language school, if you're like me, that means you're speaking like about a five-year-old mm -hmm. and you know it and the people standing around you out there know it as well. <laughs> 
and uh, and that language is 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 really very necessary in order to adapt to the culture. So you know, as you go with your language, so will you most likely go with your cultural adaptation. So it really is very challenging and. Cleveland Baptist was very good in recognizing those challenges that we would be faced with in that first term and being patient with us as we went through those challenges. Okay, so uh, as I recall, uh, when you got there, you were working or another American family who had been there uh, perhaps for a while. Mm -hmm helped you get acclimated. How important is that to, uh, to missionaries? Well, you know, I think it's very important. Um, I think it's very important. The fact that that missionary was there, and he was actually younger than I was um, at the time, but um, uh, he had been there for a year, and so we were able to have good Christian fellowship. He was able to express the experiences that he had had. And, you know, there were a lot of times where, because we were together, we could just laugh at things where if I'd been there alone, I probably would have been crying over them. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, it really was very, very helpful to be able to do our first years in fellowship with another missionary family. Yeah, I, I can only imagine, of course, I'm, I'm thinking back through history, and I'm thinking like an Ad, Adonai and Judson, mm -hmm. who ends up in Burma, you know, and there are no other Americans, and uh, probably, you know, has no language skills at that point. Everything's a learning curve. Hudson Taylor, same thing to China. Uh, you know, I, I just think that, um, you know, because of what those men did, they kind of blazed a, a trail no for American missionaries or, say, English missions uh, today. And so we're very blessed as a result of that. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the ministry that God's given to you now, because uh, as we mentioned, uh, you it's not like you guys are, uh, you know, you're, you're veterans, what we would call veteran missionaries who have been on the field, not just for uh, a term or two, but... Decades now, mm -hmm. uh, two decades, going on the third decade, uh, ready to complete that here in the next little while. So let's talk a little bit about what God has enabled you to do there. What kind of ministries that have been established to, through the time there in uh, the Ivory Coast? When I first went out, I you know went out with church planting mentality, which I still have to this day. And um, uh, our time in Anyama with the other missionary family was spent in working with that family in planting a, a church and a Bible college there. And uh, that church continues to this day, pastored by one of the men that we trained during that time. So Nationals pastoring it. Absolutely. Pastor Ake is the pastor of that church, a, a man with whom uh, I spent five years in, in theological and ministerial training. And uh, Max is doing a terrific job. It's a church with a great deaf ministry. Um, They've planted a new church on the south side of their town or in the process of doing that on the east side of their town. They've sent out two missionaries and support eight missionaries as a church. Wow. So the Lord's blessed that. And then we moved to Bangerville, and that's more or less where my family began working on its own, as it were. And we opened the Bangerville church, and, and I had a you know four or five-year plan in my mind. You know, In four or five years, we turned this church over, and we head off into a different direction to start a new church. And... Uh, the Lord really did not have that plan himself, and as such, that's not the plan that was executed, mm -hmm. as I'm still working with the Bangerville Church uh, here 20 years later. Uh, but what the Lord showed us was the need to open up specific ministries that reach communities that the church in and of itself was having difficulty reaching, and these are all local church ministries. So to help reach the Muslim community, we opened up a literacy center because most illiteracy in the Ivory Coast is found in the immigrant Muslim population. Mm. Uh, 
kids, there are no sports programs associated with the schools. And so we opened sports centers to reach out to the youth in our area. Uh, the villages around Bangerville, very close to the gospel, very animist. And uh, so can we. Can you explain that term animist so there are folks who know what that means? Uh, I can. In animistic thinking, there is no real concern for an almighty God. If he exists in animist thinking, then he, he's lost track or he's lost interest in what's transpiring on this earth. So the animist does not concern himself with the concept of an almighty God. He concerns himself with the spirit world that he perceives to be around him. And those spirits are made up of uh, his ancestors, uh, you know, other spirits, evil spirits. And uh, th these spirits really are having uh, an influence on what's taking place on the earth. And therefore, for them, that's where they put their attention and that's where they put their concern. Uh, these spirits can inhabit an inanimate object should they decide to. And if, a, if an animist believes that an inanimate object has been inhabited by a spirit, then he will worship that object. Mm -hmm. uh, from thence comes the term animism. It's from the Latin uh, word meaning light or life. And so a spirit has animated a specific idol or, or an object in nature. And so the villages are very much made up of the animists. Absolutely, because... Your villages typically are of one ethnic group, so they are very organized by way of their thinking and their belief structure, whereas the cities are multi-ethnic and further away from animism, and so typically a city work is much easier to start than a village work. So what gave you an inroad into the villages? Well, we opened a medical ministry. We had a doctor in our Grand Bassam church uh, who completed med school there at the University of Kokwadi, and, and with him, we opened up first a clinic that we ran there for six years, and then the Lord sent us Christine McLaughlin, who is a nurse practitioner, and she works with us full-time now, and so her medical work in those villages keeps the door open for our coming in and evangelizing and holding church services in those villages. So something like that, like, let's talk about a, that, that medical min ministry. It's, it really is the, the thing that kind of opens up the hearts of people to allow you to have a voice. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we do not do these ministries for the, for the simple fact of helping people. We are not social gospel. Right. But the reality is there, are, there were many, many groups that our church was having great difficulty reaching until we opened up some of these ministries. And the fact that we're teaching them or we're training them or we're helping them medically, it's those relationships that really allow for the gospel yeah. to spread. So when I came to visit you guys um, and um, we had the opportunity to go out to one of the villages and we sat down with the chief mm -hmm. and he was very receptive based upon the fact of what this kind of ministry, uh, and, and then gave you, if I, if I can use the word license, so to speak, mm -hmm. not a physical license, but an opportunity to conduct ministry in that village because of uh, what they perceived was the kindness and the, and the heart of, of, of the missionary trying to, to be a help to his people. Is that correct? Yes, it is. Um, that was the, the, the village's name was Ajame, and where our clinic was located had previously been land that belonged to Ajame before they had turned it over to the city. So it was very easy for that village to see our clinic as, in a sense, their personal clinic. They were very happy for us to open that clinic there. And every patient who ever came to the clinic received a one-on-one, -on face-to-face explanation of the gospel, what they would need to do in order to be saved. 
Well, it, it's just a, a phenomenal thing. And, of course, ha having seen the work firsthand, it's, it's, it's a tremendous blessing. Well, we're going to have to wrap up our, our, this session, and uh, we're going to pick up there next time uh, with our, our guest, Brother Bob Mack, missionary to the Ivory Coast. Once again, we want to say thank you for being a listener to um, Labors in the Harvest. And, you know, one of the things you can do to help us is, uh, you know, like our, uh, this, uh, this podcast, uh, give us a rating, subscribe, let other people know it, share it. There's an opportunity on, uh, we're on m almost every venue there is for podcasts, but uh, of course we want more folks to, to be a part of this. And so if you know folks that are, uh, you know, in your church who perhaps are in the ministry, I know there's all kinds of podcasts, but if we can take, uh, could help us in letting folks know about what God is doing through this in your own heart and life, that would be a tremendous help to us. Once again, we want to thank you for joining us, and Lord willing, we'll be together next week as we continue on with our podcast, Labors in the Harvest. Thank you for listening today. We hope that you have been encouraged by today's podcast. If you have been helped, we want to encourage you to subscribe and to share. Please feel free to leave us a comment. If you want to know more about Kevin Folger and the ministry, please visit his ministry at kevinfolger.com. We invite you to join us again next time for more Laborers in the Harvest.